0: I don't know that I can think of much better song to lead us into this text than the one that we uh, just sang. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. I think all of us are familiar with the fact that there are times in our life that we come to places of decision. And not just decision about where we are going to eat dinner that night or what we're going to have, but decisions that truly shape our life. Sometimes those decisions are ones that we see coming and we uh, analyze them and we research them and at times we agonize over them. And sometimes they are decisions that kind of come out of nowhere and all of a sudden they are sprung upon us, and yet we recognize in that moment this is a big one. This is one that's going to change some things. But we've all had those, whether it's what we decide to do as an occupation or whether to stay or to leave a job or whether to marry or whether to, uh, whether to have kids or where to live or whatever. We all have those decisions in our life that shape everything that comes after. And this morning, we are going to look at one of those decisions. Especially in the life of Peter. He was faced with a choice. What was he going to do for the rest of his life? And his decision not only changed his life and the course of his life, but it would go on to change really the course of history. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing at the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, That they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we. Stand before your word. We stand in your presence. And Lord, we recognize, Lord, that you in your great wisdom and in your great mercy give us choices. And none greater than the choice to follow you. It is an eternal choice. With eternal ramifications, not just for us, but often for those that we come into contact with. Father, I pray this morning as we look at Peter's response, Lord, that we would be brought to that same point of decision. Lord, that we would evaluate our own lives. Lord, that we would know you. Father, we thank you again for how you love us, for your great and your unending mercies. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. If you would just be seated. Before we jump into our text, I want to deal quickly with a time issue. When you look at the Gospels as a whole, and if you've been following through with us uh, in this text, what you are going to notice is that there's an odd Uh, Scenario that comes up in the reading if you've been following in the harmony of the gospels reading with us And I hope that you have been because I I firmly believe as we pour into the word and as you read along with us You're going to glean so much more not only from sunday school and the services, but you're going to get to know him You're going to spend time with jesus uh, As we go through this together, but you'll you'll have noticed in that reading that there's a little bit of a time issue. You see back in john chapter 1 There's an issue um, because Jesus uh, is introduced to the disciples at that time. This happened in our reading. It happened a few weeks ago. In a chronological time, it could have been months where John the Baptist is there with some of those that had been following him, and he sees Jesus pass by, and he says, there goes the Lamb of God. He says, look, that's the one that we've been talking about, and two of them, uh, presumably John and then Andrew, get up, and they start following him, and then other they begin introducing Jesus to others. And we see them going a few different places with him. This is what we're going to call an introduction time. They are just getting to know Him. They are following Him some places. They are seeing Him do some things. But they have not made what we would call a commitment yet. They're just seeing who this person is. And trying to figure out what's going on. One thing of note that I would just encourage you with as you continue to read through the Gospels is that there are places there where the word disciples refers to what we think of the 12 disciples, and it's in a, those immediate men. There are other places where John and others use a broader term disciples, and they mean all of those that follow were following Jesus. So, for example, when we read that the, in John that the disciples, some of Jesus' disciples went to the wedding in Canaan where he turns water into wine, we don't know who exactly that is. It could have been those in chapter 1 and chapter 2, just a few men, or it could have been several people that we don't even have listed there. And so just know that as you read the context, it will help you to understand which set of disciples is being, being talked about there. But there are lots of people called disciples. And at this time in John chapter 1, they are beginning, just beginning to get to know who Jesus is. As they traveled with him, though, apparently at some point they had returned to Galilee and those, especially Peter, his, uh, his brother Andrew, and James and John had went back to fishing. They had went back to their old life, that which they got an occupation from. That was their job. And they had gone back there. And that sets up what we see in Luke chapter 4 and 5. And we're going to call this a time of decision. John chapter 1 is a time of introduction. A time of getting to know him and figuring out who he is. Luke chapter 4 and especially chapter 5 which we're in today is time to make a decision about Jesus. It's time for Peter and the others to figure out what they're going to do with this guy. Are they just going to be stay fishermen, or is there something more? And so, just kind of to help us to understand what's going on here in the timeline. They knew, they knew when Jesus came to their boat, they knew who he was. You even see the familiarity when Jesus tells them to cast out. His response is, what? Master? <laughs> And then he begins to have a conversation with him. And then he says, but we'll go ahead and do it. It's because he, he's been with Jesus. He's heard what he's done. He's, he's seen some of the things he's done. He has a respect for Jesus that has come from spending some time with him. And so now this is the response that we have. But as until yet, he has not made a decision, which gets us into our text. Peter, like I said, knew Jesus. He knew Him from the testimony of John the Baptist. He knew Him from supposedly some time that they had spent together. Peter knows the Master. Jesus walks up to the, his boat and asks to use it so he can teach. And Peter says, sure. And so they push him out and he teaches and he comes back in. And then Jesus reveals The purpose of him teaching in this spot at this time, and that is to engage Peter and these other three gentlemen. He says there in verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. I love Peter's response. It says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, we will let down the nets. Many of you have probably heard this passage preached or have seen it in Sunday school, and so you know that it was normal for, the, for fishermen to work at night. That was when the best catch was had in that place. And so they would work all night gathering in, and in the morning when they would come in, that was time to, to separate and to sort the catch and to figure out what they had had and to mend nets and to repair boats. That was during, done during the day. They, and so Peter says, hey... We've been out all night. We've been out. We've done the work at the appropriate time. And we came back with basically nothing. It's just not a good time. It's not a good day. And if you fish at all, you know, sometimes you go to your favorite hole and you get a ton. And sometimes you go to your favorite fishing hole and there's just seems like there's nothing there. Not only that, but Peter's got to be thinking somewhere in his brain, this is a carpenter, not a fisherman. This guy works with wood. I'm not sure he's ever been on a boat. Maybe he made one at some point, but I doubt it. And yet, because he has met this Jesus, because he spent a little bit of time with him, because he's heard about a little bit about him, he says, but we'll go out. At your word, we'll we'll do this, and we'll see what happens. He has respect enough for Jesus to follow His Word. The problem is that Jesus doesn't know the Lord. He's willing to show respect towards Jesus, but he has no expectation of Jesus. He has no idea what's going to happen next. He has very little understanding of who Jesus really is and His true purpose there. He knows the Master, but he doesn't know the Lord. That's all about to change. It says that they, when they had gone out, they enclosed a large number of fish to the point that their nets were breaking and so they in a panic they begin to you can imagine they they see all that's going on and they don't want to lose it every one of those fish is a dollar sign in their brain and they're like we can't let this go we can't we can't have it destroy our net we can't have it destroy the boat and most of all we can't let this catch go and so you can imagine in their panic and their excitement they're yelling for the other boat to come out so that they can begin to help and then they begin to load those boats and it's such an amount that the boats begin to sink they just barely make it back to shore this is out of the blue and you know that for many of them this had to have been an incredible excitement they have made it like it's going to be a good week and yet here is Peter's response look at Peter's response with me it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, the, at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter in a moment sees clearly. He had known the Master. He had known Jesus. He had seen Jesus do things. He had heard the testimony about Jesus but in this moment, with this particular miracle, Peter's eyes are opened and he sees Jesus not just as master, not just as some respected teacher, not just as a miracle worker. He sees Jesus for who he is. He sees the deity of Jesus. And what's his response? His response is to see his own sin. It says that he turns around, he falls to his knees, he's wrapping himself, He's, he's worshiping at the knees of Christ, and he is begging him, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter doesn't worry about the miracle. He doesn't worry about all the money that is represented on his boat in that moment. He doesn't worry about the next moment, what he's going to do with it. He doesn't worry about the next week. He worries about himself in that moment because he understands that he has a great problem. And that great problem is his own sin, it's his own mistakes. Why is it a problem? It's a problem because he's standing before a holy God. Peter recognizes in the moment the deity of Christ and standing before the deity, standing before a holy God, he recognizes that his sin is a problem. It's not unlike the response that we see of Isaiah. Isaiah sees a vision of, the, of God on the throne and what's Isaiah's response? Woe is me! He's saying, I am a dead man. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I have a sin problem. Isaiah identifies the same thing that Peter does. I have a problem with sin and now I find myself face to face with a holy God. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because God doesn't tolerate sin. God identifies sin for what it is the great poison of all creation. And He doesn't mess around with it. Just like we wouldn't mess around with arsenic, just like they stopped putting mercury in children's toys. Man, those were fun. But they stopped doing it. Why? Because they figured out hey, if something happens, it's going to cause incredible problems. And they ended it. They didn't say, we're going to phase it out. They didn't say, oh, in the next 20 years, we're going to stop putting it in children's toys. They said, we need to be done with this. God sees the poison of sin, and He deals with it. You look at all of the Old Testament, and you see over and over again that God doesn't dilly-dally around with sin. And there are grave consequences because sin, we know from His Word, the consequences of sin is death. We see it from Genesis to Romans to Revelations. It is death that is the direct consequence of our sin. And God is a just God. And he will carry out the sentence. And now Peter stands before God in the flesh. And his response is fear. Depart from me. I don't don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't want to be in your presence right now. I know who I am. I know what I have done. I know all the closets in the heart of my soul. I know all of the stories that these... He was a fisherman. He knows every guy on this boat could tell stories about him that would not be flattering. Peter's response in standing before a holy God is to say, this is not a safe place for me. This is one of the things I think sometimes we forget. We forget that standing before a holy God is not a safe place for sinful man. We are flippant with our actions and our thoughts, we are careless with our approach to our Creator. And we forget that it is a dangerous thing to come to the one who rules all of the universe. Peter, in this moment, realizes all of that. And yet, and yet, look at the response of Jesus. Peter falls before his feet, cries out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus' response is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. In that moment, in that brief moment, we see the kindness of Jesus. We see the kindness of Jesus. It is Interesting, it's a similar message that really almost everyone gets when they see God or when they see a spiritual being. We, we've we seen it even in the Gospels. We see it when the angels visit the shepherds. It's do not fear. We see it when Mary is visited by and Joseph are visited by Gabriel separately. Do not fear. We see it With Joshua in the Old Testament as Moses passes away, and now Joshua's got to step up and lead the people. And God's words to him are, Don't be afraid. Now Jesus looks at Peter, this man who has understood his sin and has understood the holiness of God and is afraid, and he says, Do not fear. Do not fear. How can Jesus say that? He can say it because He is the judge. He can say it because He is the one who gives the pardon. He can say it because He is the one who has the right to forgive the sin. It's, he can say it because He has been the one that has been sinned against. And so He is the one that can Excuse it, and or not, not excuse, not the best word, but he is the one that can pardon it, that can forgive it. And so, in this moment, we see the great kindness of Jesus to a man who is afraid a word of peace and a word of comfort. At the same time, we see the grace of Jesus is amazing to us because. We don't always understand how these two things can coexist, but it's always amazing to us that we have this just God, this righteous God who will carry out the sentence, who will always do what is right, and yet we have this God who is gracious and forgiving. Justice requires that the sentence be carried out. Grace provides for time and forgiveness. We see the grace of Jesus in that he does not end Peter. You know, we we talked earlier, we read out of Matthew uh, the prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus will not break the reed, that he will not quench the candle that is almost out. It does not mean that Jesus is weak, it does not mean that he is soft. Think about all that Jesus could break. Think about all that He could put out. And yet in His grace, He chooses to restore. In His grace, He chooses to heal. In His grace, He takes that little small flicker of flame and He kindles it. He looks at Peter, a sinful man, and not only does he tell him not to fear, but in his grace, he, tells, he is calling him to join him. In his grace, he calls him to join him. This is something that still blows my mind every day. That I was a traitor. I was a rebel. And I could have cared less for the things of God. That I knew the things of God and I didn't do them. That I was actively doing anything I could to run away from Him. That I was doing actively anything I could to subvert anything that He might want me to do or that He might want something else to do for that matter. And yet, He forgave me. He pardoned my transgression. He He said, I know that you were a traitor. I know that that the sentence for that is death, and yet I give you life. That in and of itself is amazing. That in and of itself is grace worthy to worship. But the amazing thing is that He doesn't stop there with you and me. The amazing thing is that He invites us now to do kingdom work. Can you imagine for a moment someone that They run a a small business. Maybe they run a candy shop. All the candy you could think of. And they see this teenager walk in and the teenager begins to fill their pockets with candy. And the shop owner knows this is not the first time that this has happened. He has been watching carefully and he knows that this teenager has been stealing from him over and over again. But this time, he catches him in the act, and he sees it happen, and as he's walking out the door, he grabs his arm, and he says, empty your pockets. Of course, the teenager is, turns red. I mean, he knows he's caught red-handed. He empties his pockets. He's got every kind of candy you could think of in large quantities. He wore Ginkgo jeans that day, the big pockets with the, <laughs> empties it all out, and he is guilty. And he's like, well, he's going to call the cops, I'm going to go to jail, and that's if I'm lucky. If I'm unlucky, he calls my dad, and then real stuff starts happening. And the shop owner says, I tell you what, I'll forgive it. We don't ever have to talk about it again. But come work for me. Come run the register. Forget the candy. Come be in charge of my money. That's a whole different thing at that point. That's what God does for us. He looks at us. He he has us red handed. We are in sin. There is a consequence for sin. And He looks at us and He not only says, You are forgiven. Let's never talk about it again. But He says, Come take that which, come be a part of that which is more valuable than the candy. Come be a part of the work. Come be a part of the kingdom. He looks at Peter and he says, you think fishing is amazing? Wait till you start seeing the transformation of men. Come follow me. You think you're a sinful man. I will show you grace and then I will make you something better. Of course, we know the decision that Peter makes. It says they, in verse 11, when they had brought... Their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Can you imagine? I always, my brain goes funny places. Can you imagine Zebedee? Like, they get back to land and his sons, James and John, say, it's all yours, Dad. We're done. It's Like, what the heck happened out on those boats? They left it all. They left that catch. They left... Their livelihood, their occupation, they left their dreams and their hopes. They left it all. Jesus doesn't always call us to that. There are times, there are multiple times, I would say the vast majority of us, when Jesus calls us to himself, he doesn't call us to leave our job. He doesn't call us to leave our home. He, He just calls us to use those things for him now. But regardless, we see Peter and these guys leave everything and give the response of a disciple. All of us have to understand this. We understand that there's one Lord. There's one Lord. Peter went from understanding and knowing the Master to knowing Jesus as Lord, to knowing him as his boss. When we make that decision, when we understand that, when we make him Savior and Lord, it is no longer about what we want. Our decisions are not our own, our decisions are His decisions. We ask Him what He wants. Whether it be where we're going to school, if we are going to school, who we're marrying. Whether to have kids or not, where to live, what house to buy, how much debt we're comfortable with, how we use the income that we have. It is not our decision, it is His decision. Because we are on His mission. We have been forgiven, just like that thief in the candy store. We have been forgiven of much and now we have been given control of the tiller. That's the... Money box, by the way, for you young'uns. Okay? We have been in control of the money. And we have one mission. Him. And to make His name known. And to bring as many people in as we can. One mission. And it doesn't matter our desires and our dreams and our goals before we knew Him. It only matters what we know after Him. By the way, let me stop there and say, it doesn't mean that life is miserable. <laughs> you think Peter? You think Peter thought, man, like I? What if you give him a choice later? Would you rather see be a fisher of men, or would you have rather stayed on that boat? What he would have said? Oh, to see the things that Peter saw. To be a part of the events that Peter was a part of. There is no comparison in the life that we are called on to. There is no thrill like the mission we have been given. We have one Lord, one mission, and we have one home. One home. One of the great things about Peter's call is he leaves, and at that point, they just follow Jesus. And sometimes they have a place to lay their head at night, and sometimes they don't. But it doesn't matter because everything else becomes secondary. I love Peter and and the disciples and at times ask Jesus questions about how to handle certain situations with government and politics and other people try to trap Jesus with questions about government and politics. And Jesus' response is basically, what does it matter? (laughs) Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Because this is not your home. This is not home. We have a greater home. This is not our first citizenship. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our first citizenship is in heaven. And we look forward to better things and better promises with better assurances. We are immigrants here. We may be ostracized. We may be made fun of. We may be mocked. We may be ridiculed. It's not home, nor should it feel like it. The response of a disciple is to understand that I have one boss, and I am on one mission, and I look forward to one home. But it all comes down to a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do when he puts that in your heart? Follow me. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been introduced to Christ for a long time. You have went to church for a long time. You have known him for a long time. You have maybe followed him. You've, been, you've observed some of the things he's done. You've heard other people talk about him. But you have never made that commitment to say, He's Lord, He's my boss. You've never really asked Him to forgive you of sins and meant it. And this morning, you see the response of Peter and he says, I, I'm a sinner. He had known Jesus, but now he understands his position before Jesus. He says, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. This morning, you would say, that's That's me. I know that I've done I've been here a long time. I know that I've I've people may hear may even think you are a believer. You've been here so long. But you would, right now in your heart you would say I know that I I've worn a mask for a long time. He's not my lord. He's not my savior. This morning Jesus offers grace. He offers a relationship. He offers salvation and life. But you have to make a decision. Am I willing to follow him or not? This morning, many of you are here and you probably knew where this sermon was going before when you read the text. You didn't even have to, like, you could have written this probably better than I could have. And yet, sometimes we need a reminder. Sometimes we need a checkup. Is he Lord? Or have we taken what we gave to him so long ago back we said, you're Lord. We said, you're our Savior. We'll follow you to the ends of the earth. But over time, we have taken little bit by little bit back. This decision, uh, I can handle that one. This decision there, oh, I can handle that. This decision there, oh, I can I can do that one. I, I don't need you to, God, I don't need you to weigh in on that. I can fig- figure that out. And then the decisions just get bigger and bigger and bigger until we step back and we realize, He's no longer Lord. We've taken it all back. Sometimes we just need to evaluate. Who's Lord? Who's making the decisions in your household and in your heart? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. As always, you can do this at your seat. You can come to the altar. You can come grab me. You can stand and and praise because we have this God who not only wants to save, but wants to use us. But this morning, let us respond to him. Let me pray. Father, we come before you. and, Lord, this is, for many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, this is probably a really common passage and one that we've read a lot. One that we we would say we understand with relative ease. And yet the depth of what is happening here, maybe we've grown a little bit callous to. Maybe we've grown a little bit callous to the forgiveness of sins and the greatness of what that is. Maybe we've grown a little bit callous to what it means to call you Lord and to make every decision your decision. Maybe we've grown a little bit callous to the mission to go and make disciples. This morning, I pray that you would do to our hearts what you did to Peter's. Lord, that in a moment and in a flash, Lord, that you would open our eyes to who you are. Lord, that we would confess that which needs to be confessed, that we would acknowledge who you are. And, Lord, that we would know you not just in a historical sense, but, Lord, that we would know you in a relationship and that we would know you as Lord. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, you can stand with us.